right, this morning we're continuing on on the general theme of preparation for revival. This is part six, and we've looked at um, having encounters with God, a tremendous important thing as we look to the Lord to, to move afresh. We've looked at repentance, and we've looked at the foundation of repentance and how important that is for a couple of messages. And we've also been looking at the subject of prayer for revival over the last two messages. And I want to carry on on uh, the, the theme of um, this morning of, of prayer and fasting, linking prayer and fasting together. And this is also one way that we can prepare for God to move. Now, obviously, God is sovereign. Only he can bring revival. We can't work it up. We can't conjure it up. But there are certain things we can do to help prepare the way for the Lord. And we're going to be looking this morning on, on this focus this morning on prayer and fasting. Now, what is fasting? Fasting is voluntarily abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. And the purpose of prayer and seeking God, uh, that, that's what we fast for, for the, for the purpose of praying and seeking the Lord. And prayer and fasting together is, is one of the, it's a very powerful spiritual weapon which is forgotten and not practiced by many today uh, in the body of Christ. And it's important to understand that in the kingdom of God, when we talk about fasting, it's important to understand nothing comes by works. We can't twist God's arm to try to get something or to try to get an answer you know, by fasting. Fasting is not trying to, to earn something. But it's a way of coming to the Lord, a way of seeking after God. And that's why it's, it's so important uh, to have right motives in fasting. And not so much just what we do, but often God looks at it, looks at why we do it. What is the, what is the motive of our hearts? And Isaiah 58 speaks much about the motives in fasting. And it's also important to remember, prayer and fasting is, is no substitute for repentance. I mean, if there's sin, we must put it right. There must be a turning from that sin, a forsaking of that sin. And, you know, just because we pray and fast, I mean, you know, that's going to be of no use. We can pray and fast until we're blue in the face. But if we don't repent and put things right it's going to be of no avail. Prayer and fasting is, is no substitute for obedience. You know, when God puts his finger on some area of our life, you know, we must obey. P prayer and fasting is no substitute for faith. You know, we must believe when God speaks. And so prayer and fasting, although, if it's done with right motives and right motives, and from a, a genuine heart that seeks to please God, you know, there can, be, uh, there can be much fruit because of it. Now, 
Of course, the Lord Jesus, he is our, he's our role model. He's our, he's our pattern. He's our model. And in Matthew 4 and verse 1 and 2, and this is just at the time when Jesus is going to begin his ministry. He was 30 years of age. He'd just been baptized in water. The Holy Spirit had come upon him in the form of a dove. And he's about to begin his ministry upon earth. But just before he does that, the Holy Spirit, he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, he's there for 40 days and 40 nights. And he fasted during that time. It was, a, it was a very long fast, 40 days, 40 nights. And probably, no doubt, he, he doesn't say he did not drink, so he probably would have drunk from the, the brook or the river in, in the wilderness. And 40 days, 40 nights, we know he fasted. And then Satan came and tempted him. The enemy came and, and tempted him immediately afterwards. So... In Luke 4, and in Luke 4 and verse 1, at, after the baptism of Jesus, we see that Jesus was, he was full of the Holy Spirit. But a few verses on, in Luke 4 and verse 14, and this is after spending 40 days and 40 nights praying and fasting in the wilderness and overcoming the enemy three times when the enemy came to to tempt him. And after that experience, it says Jesus came out of the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's in Luke 4 and verse 14. He returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. So after that 40 days of prayer and fasting, there was you know, a, greater, a greater power of the Holy Spirit, you know, especially in prayer. And it was like fasting was the final stage of preparation, which Jesus passed through before entering into his public ministry. And one very important reason for fasting, and why Jesus fasted, was for spiritual warfare. And Jesus came and he used, when Satan came, each time Jesus used his sword, the sword of the Spirit, which was the Word of God. And three times, Jesus said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And he quoted from the book of Deuteronomy. And Jesus used his sword to stand against Satan. But it wasn't the sword only. It wasn't the Word of God only. He had been praying and he'd been fasting. And although Jesus was very weak physically after 40 days without food. Nevertheless, Jesus was very alert and strong in the spirit. And, you know, after that, Satan left him for a season. In the Sermon on the Mount, which is considered one of the greatest teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ, and in Matthew 6, which is part of the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon that Jesus gave, Jesus there, in the first 18 verses, he speaks about three things. First, he speaks about giving, then he speaks about praying, and then he speaks about fasting. And in Matthew 6 and verse 16, Jesus says there, he doesn't say, you know, if you fast, but he says to them, he says, 
when you fast, when you fast, and, you know, he gave various instructions about fasting and not just to go and tell everyone you're fasting and making look as if you're fasting, but he was speaking about, again, the motive of the heart. But Jesus said in verse 16, Matthew 6 and verse 16, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they, they have their reward. And then verse 17, again he says, but you, but thou, when you fast, when you fast. Again, it was, Jesus did not say if you fast, but he said when you fast, because he expected them to fast. And he said when, when, you, when you give. And he gave instructions about giving, not to sort of advertise it and try to, you know, boast about how generous you are, but to seek to do it just quietly. And so he gave instructions about giving, and then Jesus gave instructions about praying. And again, he said, when you pray. Obviously, he expects all believers to, to pray. He didn't say, if you pray, but he said, when you pray. And it was the same about fasting as it was about giving and about praying. So the inference is clear. Jesus expects all his disciples would, would regularly practice all those duties of giving, of praying, and of fasting. And Jesus also speaks of the reward in those, in those verses. Jesus speaks of the rewards the Heavenly Father will give to those who give, those who pray, those who fast. And if Christ expects his disciples to pray regularly, then by the same token, I believe he expects them to fast regularly. Now, the disciples of John the Baptist, you know, they, they fasted often, and they noticed that some of the followers of Jesus, that they were not fasting. So the disciples of John the Baptist, they came to, they came to Jesus about this question of fasting. And in Matthew chapter 9, and in four, verses 14 and 15, then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples fast not? And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? And of course, Jesus, he was the bridegroom. He was with them physically on earth. But then Jesus said to them, The days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them. And that happened when Jesus, you know, he ascended up into heaven after his resurrection. He was taken, up, taken from them. And then Jesus said, and then shall they fast. The disciples of Jesus, then shall they fast. In other words, during that church age, for a period of 2,000 years, Jesus said that when the bridegroom is taken, taken, taken from them, the church age, then his disciples will fast. And in verse 15, he spoke it says they are mourning for the bridegroom with fasting. It positions our heart to experience more of his presence. It causes our hearts to grow in greater love and longing for the Lord. In Luke chapter 2, 
We read there about a woman of God, a mighty woman of God. Her name was Anna. She was a prophetess. She, she had the word of, word, of, word of the Lord. She was from the tribe of Asher. And she, was, she, lived, she only she got married. She, her husband died after seven years. And she was a widow. And then, for, and then in Luke 2, it mentioned her age. She was about 84 years of age. And it says she departed not from the temple, but she served God. How did she serve God? With fastings and prayers night and day. And so, and she coming, she coming in that instance gave thanks likewise unto the Lord. She was guided by the Holy Spirit to come to the temple at exactly the same time that, that Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to be, to, be, to be dedicated at the temple. And in that same instant, she, she spoke of him. She spoke of Christ to all them that looked for redemption in Israel. And she was one who helped to prepare the way for the Messiah. Now, it doesn't say how old she was when she was married. But if she was, we'll say 20 years. If she was 20 years old when she married and her husband died seven years later, that would bring her to about 27 years old. And she was presently 84. So that means she would have been serving God with fastings and prayers night and day for about 57 years. And uh, she spoke of Jesus to all them that looked for redemption in Israel. That's in verse 38. And so God gave many signs to Israel that Jesus was indeed the promised redeemer. And this, this wonderful woman of God, this godly woman, Anna, the prophetess, at the age of 84 years, you know, she didn't retire at 60 or 65. At 84 years, she was still going strong, ministering to the Lord, faithfully ministering to the Lord with fastings and prayers. You know, in some situations, in, in many situations, you know, we pray and, you know, the answer comes. And sometimes before we've hardly prayed, I mean, God is faithful and, you know, the answer is there. And we've, we've experienced that many times. But then sometimes, you know, you pray and pray and pray, and the answer has not yet come. And you've got to press in and press in and press in. But after Jesus was, there was an incident in the life of Jesus in, in Matthew 17, and it was about six months before Jesus went to the cross. And Jesus was transfigured before them. And he was in bright shining garments and the glory of God was upon him. And Moses and Elijah appeared. I mean, it must have been an incredible experience. Uh, such a time of, of the glory of God being manifest. But then Jesus came down from the mountain and he met the disciples. Now, Peter and John and James were with Jesus up on the mountain. But then, after that glorious experience, Elijah and Moses departed. Jesus returned to what he looked like normally, and they came down the mountain. And in the meantime, while they'd been up on the mountain, a man with a demon-possessed boy had been 
had come to the disciples, the, the other nine disciples, and asking them to cast out the spirit out of, the, out of his boy. And this boy was demon-possessed. He was, he was going into the fire and going into the water and, and in, in just in a terrible condition. And the, the nine disciples, they prayed, but they were not able to cast the evil spirit out. And so, when Je- so the man came to Jesus when he came down from the mountain after that wonderful experience of being transfigured. And the man came to Jesus, and Jesus, you know, rebuked the spirit and cast it out, commanded it to go, and that spirit left the boy. And, you know, a wonderful miracle took, took place, and the boy was completely changed, completely uh, transformed. And then Jesus, after that experience, Jesus had to rebuke the disciples for their lack of faith. So one reason, obviously, they could not cast the spirit out was because their lack of faith. But then Jesus said, he also said in verse 21, when the disciples questioned him, you know, why could they not cast him out? And Jesus said to them in verse 21, He said, this kind, this was obviously a very resistant uh, demon, and Jesus said to them, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting, Matthew 17, 21. So basically in this passage, three things were needed. They they needed faith, they needed prayer, but even, even that was not enough. They needed faith, they needed prayer, but they needed fasting as well. And, you know, many requests are answered by prayer only. But there are some things which are in the will of God, that they are in the will of God for our lives personally and maybe uh, in other areas we pray for. There are certain things in the will of God that need both prayer and fasting both prayer and fasting. Now, if it's outside the will of God, I mean, your fasting is, no matter how, how much you fast, I mean, it's no use. But in the will of God, there are certain things that require both prayer and fasting. And this incident, it's, it's repeated in, in Mark's gospel also. And again, Jesus says the same. In Mark 9, verse 29, he said, this kind, this kind of, of, of demon cannot come out except by prayer and fasting. And and often, too, where my wife and I have had, you know, real important life-changing decisions, like from moving from one country to another. Uh, you know, we have, we have sought God. We've sought God in prayer and fasting. And, you know, each time, you know, God has... has has miraculously come through and, and, and made that, that next step, you know, abundantly, abundantly clear. In the, in the life of the Apostle Paul, you know, for Paul, prayer and fasting was, was a way of life. It was like a regular spiritual discipline. And even the very first three days of his Christian life, after he met with Christ on the road to Damascus, how were they spent? Three days. He did not eat anything. He did not even drink anything. And they were spent in prayer and in fasting. Acts 9 and verse 9 and 11. 
But we see also in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 27, Paul writing to the Corinthians, and he says, I keep my body, I keep under my body, and bring it into subjection, lest by any means, when after I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. And in other words, there's a discipline, discipline of his body, and, and a discipline concerning food. And again, he says in 2 Corinthians 6, in verse 4 and 5, and he's speaking of different ways men are, and women are approved as the ministers of God. And Paul says in verses 4 and 5, but in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watching, in fastings, in fastings. So one of those ways where Paul was approved as a minister of God was by fasting. Again, in the same epistle, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 27, and Paul is sharing all the, the sufferings that he went through for Christ's sake. And he said, you know, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, often sleepless nights, then in hunger and thirst. Sometimes, you know, he wanted to eat, but there was no food. There was no, no the, the water was not available. And, and then, he said, then he said, in fastings, often, often food was available, but then he fasted. In fastings often. In fastings, not just occasionally, but in fastings often. And, you know, Paul was in fastings often. And again in Acts chapter 13, what launched the, the missionary vision of the early church and the missionary journeys of Paul. It was when they gathered together, the, the, uh, in the church at Antioch, there were five prophets and teachers Paul, who was called Saul then at that time, was one of them. And they gathered together. They ministered to the Lord and they fasted. And then as they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, God spoke. Possibly prophetically, we're not told exactly how, that Paul and, and Barnabas were to be separated for their work that God had called them to, the work of the ministry. And so those missionary journeys of Paul, the, the launching pad, as it were. It was, it was when they, were, they had a united corporate time of prayer and of fasting together. John Wesley, who's you know, known as one who brought revival to England and was used of God in, in, in America as well, the time of the, uh, one of the first great awakening and in the 1700s, and there have been few men whom God has used more than John Wesley. And Wesley, he saw very clearly the importance of prayer and fasting in his ministry. In fact, he fasted two days every week, Wednesdays and Fridays up to 4 p.m., most of his life. And he certainly knew that the Spirit of God and the power of God upon him. And even though the main purpose of fasting is for spiritual reasons. There are, there are physical benefits also of fasting. And it's like a spring cleaning of your body. It gives your whole digestive system a break. 
And medically speaking, that is very healthy. In fact, there was a study at the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine, and it shows that fasting strengthens the immune system and the body's ability to fight disease is increased. The white blood corpuscle ratio changes during fasting so that the body's natural immune system is made stronger. Now, there's personal fasting, but then in a number of occasions, we see the Bible speaking about corporate fasting, gathering, to get, gathering together, coming together to pray and to fast. And we see a wonderful incident of this in 2 Chronicles and chapter 20, when at the, this is the time of, of King Jehoshaphat. He was, a, he was a, a, a righteous king. He was the fourth king of Judah. And God blessed him. God prospered him. Now, he, he, he made some bad mistakes and some bad alliances. But the Bible tells us he was a righteous man. God prospered him. We read in 2 Chronicles and chapter 17. And God gave Jehoshaphat revival. And he, sent, and he sent princes, Levites, and priests to teach in the cities of Judah. And it was a teaching, in fact, there was a teaching revival based on the book of the law. And in 2 Chronicles 17 and verse 9, it says, And they taught in Judah and had the book of the law, Lord with them. And they went about through all the cities of Judah and taught the people. And then, so there was a, under Jehoshaphat, he, he sent out princes, he sent out Levites, he sent out priests, he sent them all over Judah to teach the book of the Lord and to teach the word of God. And then in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, there was like a crisis situation because three nations who were surrounding Israel, they, they joined together and they came against Jehoshaphat to attack Jehoshaphat and to attack Judah. And it was a, it was a critical situation. Judah, Jerusalem and Judah could have been wiped out by these enemies who had gathered themselves together. And these enemies were, it says in, the, in, the, in, in 2 Chronicles 20, it was a great multitude, a great multitude of, of, of soldiers came against them. And all of Judah... So what they did, Jehoshaphat feared in 2 Chronicles 20 and verse 3 and 4. This is what Jehoshaphat did. When in the midst of the, in the, midst of the crisis that he was facing, it says in verse 3, 2 Chronicles 20 verse 3, Jehoshaphat feared. He set himself to seek the Lord. He proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together. To ask help, to, to ask help from the Lord and to seek the Lord and to pray and to fast. In other words, God told Jehoshaphat to, to proclaim a fast, to proclaim a fast throughout all of Judah. Doesn't say how long, it was probably for one day. And verse 13 tells us that even, even the wives were included, the wives were included, and and even the children were included in verse 13. And so here we see God's people were called 
to come together, to unite together in, pu in public, collective fasting and prayer so that God would intervene in their situation. He would intervene in their situation. And you know how we need, how we need today to see God intervene in our nation. I mean, we are in a critical, critical situation. I mean, the nation is in it. We've turned from God and we need desperately God to come on the scene. Intervention from heaven. God to come on the scene. And Jehoshaphat's prayer in verse six, verses 6 to 12, it was reminding God of his covenant with Abraham and it expressed their dependence upon the Lord and that their eyes were upon him. And so in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, you know, we see the awesome results of prayer, of united prayer and fasting. You know, God, as they came together in united prayer and fasting, God spoke prophetically through the prophet Jehaziel, and, and then God spoke that they were to sing and to praise the Lord. And instead of the, of the warriors going forth, they just sent forth singers who were unarmed, and they would sing and praise the Lord. And they went, faced, they went marched towards the enemy. And as, they, and as they did this, singing and praising God, you know, God put the enemy into confusion, and the enemy, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the children of Mount Seir, instead of fighting Jehoshaphat and, the, and the, the people of Judah, they turned against one another and fought against themselves and ended up killing each other. And there was an incredible, incredible, unexpected victory, you know, for Jeho Jehoshaphat and the people of God. An incredible victory. And you know, today, today we're living in a time where there are many evil spirits and powers of darkness against God's people. And these ungodly forces are united in hatred and opposition to all those who love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there's people today in our nation, they hate Christians. They want to destroy them. They hate the word of God. They hate the laws of God. But as we rely on God and our spiritual weapons, and you know, prayer is a spiritual weapon. Fasting is a spiritual weapon. The gifts of the spirit are spiritual weapons. Prophecy is a spiritual weapon. Public praise and worship. That's a spiritual we weapon. And as we rely on these spiritual weapons, the strongholds of the enemy can be brought down. And, you know, we can experience, you know, great victories, great victories. And, you know, the weapons of our warfare, we're going to need them all, including fasting, you know, to, to see the Lord come down on our behalf. And I know I've shared it before, but I, it's still... It's still so vivid in, in my heart and in my mind. You know what God did in New Zealand back in 1972, 73, 74. And, you know, the, the presence of God that came. People lining up in the streets and running into the buildings to get the front seats. And the, the presence of God coming. People just getting healed in their seats. And, but along with that, along with that, People prayed, and every month, once a month, 
hundreds, not just one or two, but there were hundreds of people who would willingly, there was no, no compulsion, who would willingly, you know, fast for three days. They fasted for three days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then we gathered together for a prayer meeting that night. And, you know, I can still remember, you know, the, the presence of God, the power of God, just the, it was almost electricity. I mean, God could do anything. And just the, the atmosphere and the, the presence of the living God. And I believe God's causing us to, you know, to press into God. And as you realize, we've started just two weeks ago on the Wednesday night. Uh, just for this time, I'm not sure how long it'll go on for, but on Wednesday night, just to have meetings, to have meetings, to gather together and pray. And our main focus of prayer is going to be, you know, revival, revival in our nation, revival in our valley, Seir, Athens, Waverley, Shemang, revival in our fellowship, Zion Fellowship Inter International, the Zion Churches, and then, of course, revival right here on the hill. Revival here in Mount Zion Church. And as we gather together in prayer, you know, I believe, you know, we, de we desperately need the intervention of God. And with everything going on today, you know, we're, we're standing at a, you know, in the nation, in the world. We're standing at it. We haven't been this way before. We, we've never, none of us have ever had a year like we've had this year, ever. We're standing at a pivotal moment in American history and perhaps even in world history. And I want to just encourage you, as, you know, to, to, to come together. And if you'd like to, to come together, not just to pray, but I, I, I'd like to encourage you. I don't want to put pressure on anybody. If you don't feel to do it, no problem. But... I would like to encourage those who maybe feel the, the promptings of the Holy Spirit to come on Wednesday night to pray, but also to fast on Wednesdays. To fast on Wednesdays, it'll be two meals, and go home after the prayer meeting and have enjoy a meal. But to fast those two meals. And if you feel two meals is too much to fast, well, fast one meal and try to you know pray in that time time. Uh, instead and you know if if there's some reason you feel not to that that's fine if you're on medication I mean the Lord understands that but there's still you know you can still the Bible speaks about partial fast and it speaks about a complete fast so you can still just eat a small amount to, so you've got some food with your medication and uh, and 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 participate in a partial fast to the Lord but I believe as we unite together, as we unite together, as we seek to pray together, as we cry out to God, and we're even willing to, to, to fast, you know, God can come through on our, be, our behalf. He came through mightily on behalf of Jehoshaphat. He, pro, he prayed and they proclaimed the fast and got, he saw an awesome victory, totally unexpected. But let us, by the grace of God, let us arise in God let us press into God. We're living in serious times and believe the Lord for revival here in our midst. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you, Lord, for Jehoshaphat and the great victory that you gave him. 
And Lord, we're very conscious. We're in a battle, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of the enemy. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that we would be clothed with our spiritual weapons. Oh God, Lord, we pray that we'll be a people. You will draw us, draw us to seek you, draw us to pray, draw us to intercede. And Lord, we pray that, oh God, Lord, even draw us to seek you, even with fasting, Lord Jesus, that indeed your will and your purposes would be outworked. Lord, we long for revival. We long that you come and manifest yourself and your power and your glory. And so, Lord, just take us on. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you.